<laughs> yeah, yeah, isn't that the truth? Well, it is, uh, I'm thrilled to be here with you this evening. Open your Bibles up to Ephesians. Hey, before we get started tonight, uh, I wanted to kind of update you, if I could, a little bit on just uh, some of what we're doing with our books. And uh, the whole t-shirt thing, that basically came about with uh, kids wearing the message. And uh, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but you know, that's what that is. And then um, if you go to jeremiahbullet.com, again, we do these, uh, I take a lot of, I take a, put a lot of effort in the podcast stuff. So uh, my, my son does all the video, all the editing, sound editing stuff. And uh, so the last four uh, we released uh, was the um, uh, three imperatives, verses six, or 10 through 13 of chapter 6 Ephesians. And then we have what we call the 10 minutes of truth where we break that down into chunks. So what we've been really trying to do is not just throw up these long, hour-long studies, but to give you handles on them and break them down into smaller chunks. We've had people not complain, of course, but they've, they've been like, you know, it's a lot to take in. It's like drinking through a fire hose sometime. Well, you know, so this is a way for us to have an hour-long study and then to break it up into 10-minute chunks afterwards. And so that's what we've been doing. Now, one other thing, someone was asking about the books. The idea of this book was just helping people get into the, get into, uh, for instance, this was the book of Romans. We got three in the series thus far. But the idea is to get in the, in the scriptures and crawl within the context, within the culture, beneath the English language to a degree and look at some of the original language. And, I mean, we creep through this. So it's designed for you to read one, uh, they're, they're, they're done one day at a time. So day one is uh, over a part of verse one. In fact, day two is over verse one. Day three is over verse one. Day four is over verses two through four. And then day five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, are all through verse three. So when we are creeping through, but we're focusing on different aspects of his language, words, terminology, uh, you know, so uh, day one is over the idea of slave and their culture. In our culture, we think of slaves in terms of, um, you know, stealing people from Africa, coming over here and selling them. And that's what we think of it. That's, and that's a, that's a appropriate definition here, but that's not what it was here all the time. And specifically, uh, well, you can read it. You can study it. You can study what that word means and the terminology means. But anyway, that's what we're doing in here. We're looking at some of the terminology that Paul uses in describing our identity and breaking that down. That's super, super significant. So that's all we're trying to, trying to do with these. And I try to make them as cheap as possible. In fact, if these were money makers, I'm not doing it very good. So that's the idea. All right, enough, enough of that. Appreciate you being here. And uh, again, I want to be, uh, I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to be too short, but I want to be responsible with your time, and I want. I don't want you to, of course. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to keep you up all night. Ephesians chapter one. Want to get into verses five and six this evening, and this evening deals with uh, a term that I want to look with at first in a theological uh, context, a theological discussion. And what I mean by that is, is um, we use terms, we, we use in the church theological terms, and we don't know what they mean. 
For instance, we use, uh, and not just terms, but phrases. For instance, you're going to hear people say, once saved, always saved. Well, that's a theological phrase that people throw around but have no idea how to define it, what it means, uh, where it occurs in Scripture, or even if it does occur in Scripture. Pre, uh, people use the term predestination. Who's heard of the term predestination before? A couple of you have? Yeah, the idea, I'm predestined, okay, those kind of terms. We don't know where it comes from, you know, or if it's just with one denomination, not another, okay, what have you. Sanctification's another one. People use, throw around that term, they don't know what it means. So the term predestination, <coughs> excuse me, is actually used in verse 5. So we're going to look at verses 5 and 6, and the first thing I want to do is I want to get into the, I want to get into the theological implications and, and basically hash that out with you. Just clarify what Paul means when he talks about predestination. I'm going to give you what, I've, what we hear about it in terms of our culture and then what it means uh, in the text. So let's read, and we're actually, actually picking up the last two words of verse 4, but we're going to look at verse 5 and 6. This is how it reads. In him, okay, in, or excuse me, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now, which is typical with Paul's writing, there's a lot packed in there, so let's, let's break this down. But first thing I want to look at, even before we look at the context of love, I want to look at this term predestination, okay? Uh, it's, it's the verb. It's actually every time, it's only mentioned six times in our New Testament, and every single time it is a verb, okay? It can be translated limited. It can be translated predestined. Um, it can be translated in a, in a loose form, planned, determined. There's a number of different ways it can, be, and it can be, begin to be translated. If you've been around the church any amount of time, if you've not been around church culture, you're probably safe. <laughs> okay. And seriously, there's some stuff that comes out of the church that I'm just like, where did we come up with that stuff? Okay, seriously, think about that. Some of the ideas that we have in our culture that I've heard in my, my community is this idea of predestination, predetermined, that, you know, uh, God chooses who he wants to save, and he chooses who he doesn't want to save. Okay, anybody ever heard that before? Several of us have, okay. Um, that is not biblical. God desires none to perish. That statement is not consistent with anything else in Scripture, okay. If we ha I have two kids. If God says, hey, I created one to be destroyed and one to be saved, I'm following another God, no matter what the cost. Not interested in that. That's not just, and that's not righteous, okay? And that, but that's not what this term means. In fact, this term uh, is really, it's intertwined with this idea, a theological idea that's, that's prominent in the South, but it's other places. But it's intertwined with this idea of eternally secure or eternal security, which is, leads to this phrase that once you get saved, you're always saved. And that type of terminology is contingent. It is... Uh, founded on a covenant a contractual relationship with God, which, by the way, is Old Covenant. Okay? New Covenant's not contractual. New Covenant is relational. I mean, it's relational. What makes you a Christian is not a contract. He's not a man upstairs 
Okay, it's not nothing you sign in blood. It's not that kind of a deal with strict kind of, and it, that was very, hey, that was very consistent with old covenant relationship with God. You can talk about it in that kind of a lens. But in the new covenant, it is relational. What it means to be saved is he comes down and indwells me and walks in life with me. That's the relationship. And at any point where you choose to part ways with him, you're no longer saved. That's just how that works. Now, it's intertwined with this idea of predestination. Now, what's scary is you can, I've had people say, hold on. So this word predestination, as it's used here, that he predestined us. So you believe, Jeremiah, that this, this, and in fact, the word, if I were to give you the definition, let me make sure I get this right here. If I were to give you the definition of the term, the term uh, predestined is made up of two words. It's made up of the words before and limit or boundary so it's setting boundaries before okay before we were born there were boundaries that were set and so you could say i've had people come up to me and say um so but this word predestination scholars tell us and they'll read it to me that it has the idea that god predetermines uh who will go to heaven and who will go to hell that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. God predetermines who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. But it's not an exclusive, it's not exclusive in terms of the predestination. In other words, in, in our passage, and I want you to look at this, look back with me at, um, I want you to look with me from verse 3 down through just several verses. Everything going on in this passage is within the boundaries. God has set limits and boundaries. What predestination means? It means before and boundaries. God sets the limit limit and boundaries of everything that he wants to equip us with. And that boundary is in Christ. Listen to this. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So God takes all of his blessings and he puts it in Christ. He goes on. For he chose us in him. God does his choosing in Jesus. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus. Verse 7. In him we have redemption. Again, notice the boundaries. It's in him we have redemption. Uh, Verse 9. And he made known to us the mysteries of his will according to his purpose and pleasure in Christ. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen. I mean, he goes on and on and on and on. We won't go through all of it. But literally, the boundaries that God has set, it's like, here, here's the way I, I often describe it, is that God, God reaches down, God the Father, we understand, we walk through the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the whole, the whole move of redeeming us. And God the Father says, listen, I want to redeem mankind. I want the adjectives that describe me to describe them. And so what God does is he sends his one and only son, and God makes Jesus the category of redemption. He says, I'm putting everything in him. I'm putting everything in a son. Everything is in a son. Now we're going to get into this a little bit with the adoption idea. We, the whole idea of adoption is that God says, I'm putting everything in Jesus. I'm put, he is the category that I'm going to choose from. He's not going to choose outside of Jesus. He's only going to choose in Jesus. In other words, Jesus is exactly what he wants for humanity. 
And if you don't want to look like Jesus, that's fine, but he's not choosing you for heaven. It would be like, see, Jesus was prototype language. See, this is the prototype I'm choosing from. If it comes out of the factory and it looks different, I'm not choosing that one. Because it's not going to work. It's not what I want. And if you don't want to look like that, that's fine, but I'm not choosing from that. For instance, and, and in, this, in this category of Jesus, we have all these details. In, in verses 3 through 23, murderers are not in Christ. Why? Because Christ is not a murderer. So if you're a murderer, you're outside of Christ, and God is not picking from murderers to inherit his kingdom. Does that make sense? See, God chooses sons and daughters. God says, I'm looking for sons. I'm not interested in being a son. Well, you're not interested in going to heaven. Because I've set the boundaries on the kinds of people that I'm going to pick. So here's a beautiful thing. Before the creation of the world, God predestined all, he's limited all the wonderful things that he has in store for you, and he's put them in Christ, and they're waiting for you. And all you got to do is get in. Blessing, abundance, redemption. Dude, as he goes down through the list, you're going to find in verse 7, we're going to talk about it tomorrow, forgiveness of sin is in Jesus. Seriously, forgiveness of sin is in Jesus. You want forgiveness of sin? Get in Jesus. You want experience, like redemption, freedom. It's in Christ. Uh, the way that I, I I'd oftentimes describe this, especially to teenagers, is uh, God has given you everything, but man, it's, it's hidden in Christ. Because outside of Christ, you hurt yourself. It's funny, I hear people all the time say, yeah, my father, he, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But they ain't at your house. Why? Well, maybe you're not a good steward of money. Seriously, that's rough to say to somebody. I mean, there, there's something to be said about prosperity. God does not want you poor, blind, and naked. I mean, really doesn't, man. But if you're a good steward, what's being a good steward? My generation doesn't understand uh, about tithe. Giving is not tithe. They're two different things. Tithe is first fruits. Tithe, seriously, tithe is evidence of being a good steward of finances. And when he can, when you, and he's got these principles. If you can be trusted, remember the, the talents parable? The one who was faithful with a little got more. If you can't be faithful with a little, how could you get more? So when I first got saved, I was like, Lord, give me a million dollars. And the Holy Spirit interceding on my behalf was like, do not give him a million dollars. <laughs> we are trying to shape this boy in the image of Christ and it'll kill him. Seriously, we're not just not responsible. Because you know what? Money would have sourced my future instead of dependent upon him. You get that? So there's this idea of God has given you everything. See, I, I believe everybody's millionaires. I believe everybody's wealthy. I believe everybody has every, every dream, every, everything. He's given us every single thing and hidden it in Christ. Well, then why aren't I experiencing that? Well, let's take a look at your life and be honest. Well, I want health. Yeah, I do too. But you're 50 pounds overweight and you're a glutton. Yeah, you ain't a good steward of your body. Get out and walk in the park. <laughs> I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm, I, you know what I'm saying? Okay? I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm not your normal path. But seriously, there's something to be said of that, man. There's something to be said of that. 
and, and God's, and I confess that to my brother and pastor this morning, God's been dealing with me in terms of, you know, hearing him. Perhaps I've trained myself only to hear my body. Have I ever really told my body no? Have I ever said to my stomach, no, 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 you don't rule us. In fact, I've done, you ever repented to your body? I have. I've literally spoken about it and I said, I, I have, I am so sorry. I have put you as king of my life. And I've let you dictate how I eat instead of literally the Holy Spirit dictating what's good for us. Yeah. There's truth to that. So God has health to me if he can, if it's in Christ. What does it mean in Christ? The Holy Spirit's going to guide me on how, what I put in my body. There's a difference between the flesh and the spirit. That's this idea of predestination. So I, I, I describe it that way to teenagers, but I also describe it in terms of maturity and in stewardship like this, uh, my, uh, my grandpa passed down to us a gun, a very expensive gun, a handgun. And uh, it's beautiful, it's worth a lot of money. And I told my son, I said, the thing's yours. When he was two years old, I said, that's yours. I loaded that sucker and gave it to him. I said, run off, have a blast, boy. <laughs> no, I did not, mainly because of my wife. But... <laughs> Why? Well, I can't give him that. He's not mature enough. I said, it's waiting for you. And I put boundaries. Well, it's mine. Absolutely, it's yours. Let me play with it. Not a chance. Yeah, because you are not, come on, you got to be able to steward. See, I think a lot of our spiritual life is like that. I do. I think a lot of our spiritual life, this is this idea. He's predestined. He's given you. It's all freely given. You ever, seriously, people look at that and go, well, I don't see that in my life. Well, that's, that's, we should probably talk about that. It'll be a little embarrassing for you because it should be going on in your life. Let's talk about spending. See, we want to talk about it in a church. We want to talk about, oh, I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I don't kill people. Yeah. I, I, you know, and I love it, you know, not killing people. I love that. I'm a big fan. Okay. <laughs> big fan. Don't kill people. But see, I'm interested in talking about, man, what are some other issues you're going through in your life? What are you not being a good steward of? That's this idea of predestination, that God sets limits beforehand. Why? Because he knows me. He knows me. And he knows that, man, certain, certain things he just can't get. In fact, it's interesting, um, and I can't remember where I was actually stu studying this. I oh, it's in verse 8. We'll get to this tomorrow. Listen to this. What he, what he, what he gives us is, lav verse 8 says, it's lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding what does that mean dude he knows what he's doing Seriously, i see myself oftentimes as a little child man god just give it to me no trust me in fact i find myself now looking back in my early 20s and i'm like thank you jesus yeah. Yeah. you know i've prayed for things things i've prayed for looking through my perspective Looking at my wife, honey, I'm telling you, I know exactly what I'm talking about. She's like, mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been through this before. See, he's, see, there's something about being, uh, one of my, just to confess with you, one of the things that I've had to repent of in recent days is passion and drive. I can't find anywhere in the scriptures where you're supposed to be passionate, where you're to be led by passion. You're to be led by the Spirit. You know how many people I've hurt being passionate? You know how many people I've hurt being driven, just driven? Tell me, show me where you're supposed to be driven. You're supposed to be led by the Spirit. 
not driven. Led, led by the Spirit, not passionate. Passionate can be cloaked as spirituality when it might not be. Now, in a manner of speaking, can I say I'm passionate? Yeah, but I'm not led. See, I'm not sourced by, I'm not sourced by anything but the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces joy. Passion doesn't produce joy. P passion for me produces going back and saying, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, I got heated. Yeah, that's what passion produces in Jeremiah. Isn't that interesting? So God puts limits and boundaries. So that's what we want to talk about this evening. So when someone ever comes to you and says, does God determine who will be saved and who will not be saved? See, absolutely. Well, who will be saved then? Those who are in Christ. And everybody's invited in Christ. In fact, God's not only, everybody's been invited in Christ, but God is already, before the foundation of, of the world, determined all the things that he wants to do for you. He's already set them in stone. He's already put them in Christ. And he's just waiting on you saying yes. Isn't that awesome? Come on, he's already got the gun. And maybe that was not the best illustration, but he's already got the gun. He's just waiting for you to become smart enough and, and responsible enough to, to utilize it. That's the idea. Isn't that good? It's the idea. Well, let's look, let's look at this together. Uh, he begins in verse 5. Uh, actually, it's the last two words of verse 4, and he says, in love he predestined. One of the most difficult things, and this is so, so important, one of the most uh, dangerous uh, aspects of reading the Bible is to take it out of context. Politicians are like excellent with this, and preachers. You know, they'll take one, and news, and more than politicians, news organizations, they'll take one statement completely out of context, and, and they'll build a story around it. Do you know that's called lying and deceiving and it's a product of the enemy? We do the same thing on Facebook. You ever seen the, or, and, and Instagram. You ever see the pictures on Instagram? You realize she don't look like that. Yeah, there are not hearts popping around her head. Trust me. The face is not always smooth. You meet him in person and you're like, who are you? Yeah, that's a form of lying. It's a form of deception is what it is. It's called digital identity. Media identity. People want, see, people want to live in that realm. They don't learn how to communicate. It's safer there. It's more comfortable there. So there's a context in which they operate. They operate from that, from that world and not reality. Which really, and the, why that world? Because they can control that world. See, to operate in a world that God controls is a whole, that's Christianity. Isn't that interesting? So context is extremely significant. So when you read scripture, you have to take it in context because you can make the Bible say whatever you want to. I remember when I first got saved, uh, I ran into this verse and Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, ask anything in my name and it'll be given to you. I was like, that is my life verse right there. <laughs> Seriously, I, dude, I, 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 I fell on my knees. I was like, I want a car, I want a Ferrari. I want Magnum PI, 1987 Ferrari, red, exact. In fact, give me the house too. Give me the house as well. And I started giving I, this whole list of what I wanted in Jesus' name. <laughs> Ask anything in my name. The contract. I was like, hey, come on. Well, again, New Testament isn't contract. It's relationship. And so that, 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 that term has, has context uh, to it. So the context of the limitations and the predestinations of what God has for you is he's doing this in love. God loves you. Some of the limitations... Some of the limitations 
that we find in our life uh, is just astounding to me uh, because I, I wouldn't, sometimes his love doesn't feel like love. Can I say that? Sometimes his love doesn't feel like love, you know? Uh, discipline, God disciplines his children, you know? Sometimes he puts me in places that are uncomfortable, you know? And that's both New Testament as well. Some of the things like Paul and Silas in prison, oh, mercy, okay? But, and, and to look at those circumstances and to realize that you have a God that is guided by love. He is love. By the way, the phrase, uh, there's a few different words for love, whether phrases or individual words in the New Testament. The word that's used here in verse 4 is agape. Okay, It's covenant love. And what covenant love means is it's, it's produced out of a covenant. And the covenant is, new, is a new covenant. Listen to me real quickly. The covenant that God makes in terms of redemption is not a covenant based on you. It's a covenant based on Jesus. That's huge. It's not a covenant based on you. It's a covenant based on Jesus. So because of Christ's death and resurrection, you and I can be saved. So God is going to love you whether you want to or not. You're like, well, hey, I, I, I'm not going to love him. I'm going to break that covenant. Well, that, you can't break the covenant because you didn't make it. So God's love, that's interesting. See, God's love and his redeem, redemption in your life, him preserving everything is based off what he did to Jesus. He does not trump your will. See, I've heard people say, well, I, you know, I knelt as a kid, gave my life to Jesus, ran out, did whatever I want to do. I'm good to go because I signed the Well, first off, read the Bible. Okay, that's not, that's not, you're not receiving, you're not allowing. God does, nowhere in the covenant relationship does God take away choice or free will. He just doesn't do that. It's relationship. And in, in intimate relationship, in the relationship that are set in the boundaries of Jesus Christ, you have everything that he wants you to have. And he does that because he loves you. Here's a, here's a beautiful thing, like, love the whole covenant of love that he has, this is so, God cannot, in fact, I don't want to get too far ahead because tomorrow we're going to talk about the riches of his grace. So I don't want to go into, but I will say this because I think the greatest tool in teaching is repetition. Grace does not overlook sin because sin is death. Sin when it's full blown will produce death in your life. Take sin and base your marriage on sin. I was talking to this young couple and, uh, he was getting ready to get married, like literally within a couple weeks. And he, he, he told me, and we were talking, and I said, have you guys been sexually active? I was giving counseling. And he was a little hesitant. And I was like, listen, you know what? Hey, I don't have to do this. Go do your own thing. But if I'm going to marry you, we're going to be, I'm, I'm bringing you in accountability. And he goes, you know, well, we didn't have sex, but we did mess around. And she said, that's true. And I was like, so you're, you lived in sin in your relationship. And he looked at me and he said, well, we're getting married next week. We're getting married next week. It doesn't matter. I was like, oh, that's right. The loophole. God doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> that fornication. Hey, it's okay if you end up getting married. And I said, what, I, what, I said, what you don't understand is that you are to be, and I had to walk him through this. This is an example, okay, of, of, of grace and, and, and the love that God has. The reason he doesn't tolerate sin, as I said, you were created to be her covering. Man is the head of the wife. Okay? The head doesn't mean boss. Doesn't mean control. 
Okay, man is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. What did Christ do with the church? Dude, he poured out his life, he served, he loved, he didn't control, he didn't come to Judas and kick him out. Like literally, as Satan was entering Judas to go out, Jesus broke this bread, dipped it and said, before you go, I, I'm doing this for you. What I'm doing tomorrow, I'm doing for you. No matter what you do tonight, I'm doing this for you. That's phenomenal. See, that, that's what it means to be a husband. I'm my wife's covering. She feels safe. I'm going to be the voice of God. I'm going to see her through his eyes. Well, this young man did not see her through the father's eyes. He seed her. He saw her through his own sex drive. And don't tell me you love her. What you do is you, you love sex. That's what you do. That, that's what you love your sex drive. If we're just going to be honest about it, you, you, you love your sex drive. And so what happens is you've developed spiritually, you've developed spiritually this user mentality where you were supposed to hold the line where I guarantee you in your relationship, I told him, I said, I bet she held the line. And she shook her head before he did. He just sat there like he was caught with his hand in a cookie jar. Yeah, she ended up holding the line. I said, so she's developed this, I'm pushing my hands out. It's this protection, like stay away. Why? Because she don't trust. And what you're going to carry that as the foundation of your marriage and throughout your whole marriage, how she's going to see you is the person that ultimately deep down inside she doesn't trust. And that becomes the foundation in which, that's why you don't mess around before you get married. That's why you don't do that because you're, you're basing your marriage on I want to use you. And she doesn't feel safe. Isn't that interesting? See, most people don't look at it like, well, we're going to get married anyway. <laughs> See, God, God loves you. He puts boundaries in your life for a reason. Don't mess around sexually. Why? Because he loves you. It's going to destroy your marriage. That's why we have, I believe that's why we have so many, so many problems in marriage. Like the marriage divorce rate in the church is the same outside of the church. Why? Because people have an unscriptural, unsanctified view of marriage. So when God, see, when God tells, puts boundaries in your life, he does it because he loves you. Isn't that beautiful? Well, God doesn't want me to have fun until I get married. <laughs> Good night. I'm glad I never thought like that, praise the Lord. Glad I've been perfect my whole life. No, but I do. I've, I've grown. Go back to him. When you find something in the scriptures and he says, listen, man, I don't. You'll be like, why? Man, I want to punch that person. I don't want to forgive them. Well, you don't understand forgiveness isn't about them. It's about you. You're like, that's weird. Yeah, why does God insist on forgiveness? Why does he insist on not holding bitterness? Why does he insist on not getting revenge? That's like the, I have to be careful the movies I watch, man. Seriously, I find myself coming in agreement with Denzel Washington as he's walking through, he's walking through Home Depot with a nail gun. I'm like, get him. Yeah, I, I struggle with that. I struggle with Jason Bourne and uh, these guys are going to get revenge because why? They deserve it. Yeah. Well, then why does God have save all vengeance for me? Yeah, he loves you. He loves you. Dude, you hurt yourself. You hurt yourself. So what's really I want to stress as we get into, into verses 5 and 6 is this last two words in verse 4 in my translation is in love. It's, it is the lens by which God acts in your life is, oh, he loves you. He limits you, he disciplines you, he withholds things from you. I mean, my two-year-old son wanted that gun and thought I was a bad parent. 
You know, oh, I don't know why he just won't let me grab that thing and wield it and shoot at my sister. I know it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Seriously, you ever like tried to talk, you ever tried to reason with a two-year-old? I bet you that's how God views us. Seriously, I bet he's looking at me like, Jeremiah. I, I, I bet he's like, Lord, help me. <laughs> he's calling on someone. So it's in love he predestined us. Now, again, this idea of predestined uh, is, is beautiful because it's, it's beforehand. He decided beforehand, before the foundation of the world. He's got this plan, and you are absolutely instrumental, and he created you for that plan. Now, get this. You have to understand predestination in the right kind of light. It wasn't like God made the earth and thought, oh, man, well, hey, I'm not mowing the lawn. I'm going to make Adam. No, you know, that's not, he, he doesn't treat like we do our kids, you know, you know, I ain't doing the dishes. I brought home the bacon. Mom's like, I cooked the bacon. Guess what? You're cleaning up the mess of the bacon. That's, that's not, that's not this idea that God created you in love and he knows what brings fulfillment and joy and bliss and destined you for that. And he's woven that into his whole plan for your life which is incredible. I'd love to, I'm releasing, I re, I'm releasing a number of things on our, on our uh, 10 minutes of truth. There's one that's going to be coming out the end of, end of uh, November on judging. And, uh, you know, what the scriptures have to say about judging. There's a difference between judging and condemning. I mentioned that, didn't I? I think I mentioned that here. The weeks all, all bleed together. Uh, there's a difference between judging and condemning. And uh, we hear in church all the time is, you know, well, only God can judge me. Uh, you know, hey, you know, don't judge. You know, uh, you can't judge me. You know, that's, <laughs> that's so unbiblical. You were created. You were created to judge. In fact, one of the reasons I told, I told pastor this today, one of the reasons I like you guys so much is that when I, you're just some of the most judgmental people I've ever met in my life. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. In fact, I was talking to my sister and she was telling me about her just beautiful little daughter and that um, she told me last Saturday that her daughter comes in and tells her, she says, mom, it's about 11 o'clock at night. She should be in bed and she's dressed and she's like, uh, hey, I'm going to go out and uh, I'm having some of my friends that I made uh, earlier in the day. They're going to come out and we're, they're going to take me riding. And mom's like, what are you talking about? And she hears these motorcycles pull up. And these guys are out there in this motorcycle gang and and they've got hell's angels you know and they've got all these motorcycles and she runs out she's gonna go get on i'm making all this up but she's uh <laughs> she's gonna run out and jump on the motorcycle and and when she, and she said she looked at her and said no way you're not going with them and i remember thinking she's so judgmental <laughs> you and i make judgments on what kind of tv shows our kids watch who they hang around where they go come on we make judgments there's a difference between judging and condemning. Three different Greek words. In it. See, I ain't going to do the whole podcast, but you should get on there and listen to these podcasts. So I'm releasing one on judging. I'm re releasing one on uh, same-sex romantic relationships in December. It's already recorded and, and slated to be released. It's about 22 minutes. I'd like to release one on gender. That gender, you don't, you don't choose your gender. gender. Gender is the expression of God's creative nature in your life. And, you, and, and in the midst of all the things that can influence gender, you need Christ within the confines of the church 
figuring out. Literally, we're to be raised and grown within the body. You weren't meant to figure life out on your own. I said all that to say that. But seriously, there's limitations. God's put boundaries in your life. This is not, this, is you, this ain't you. This isn't, I, and man, my daughter and son are going through this right now. I don't, <laughs> call me dad, but I, hey, I told him, I said, you ain't allowed to pick out your wife, son, or you're not allowed to pick out your husband, daughter, without my approval. <laughs> that went over wonderfully in our, <laughs> right there in the middle of Applebee's. It was terrible. We're never allowed to go back there, by the way. But yeah, the biblical idea is you were, not to, you were not to pick out of your own lens, you know, making those decisions by yourself, man. You, you were put, you had a father and a mother. You have a family that they give the most, they know you and the, the value of their voice in your life. You see all that? Those are boundaries in love, guided by love. Okay, so he writes at the end of verse four, in love, he predestined, he determined. Let me give you one quick example. This is one of my favorites. Turn back with me to Acts chapter 4. This is one of the best definitions of uh, predestination. I've ever had. Go down to verse 26. Peter and John got released from prison. They come back and they're rejoicing over their persecution. Just let that sink in. They rejoiced over their persecution. So they come back and they quote this Old Testament passage and they're talking about how, now listen to me, they're talking about how everything that happened to Jesus and his death on the cross, God planned and predestined. It says in the end of verse 25, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And then he, so he quotes that passage, like, why are they, all the kings of the earth, they're coming against, you know, his anointed one, Jesus, trying to kill him. Verse 27, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city, get this, to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Get this, they did what your power and will had predestined had decided beforehand should happen you're like hold on so this is the complexity of predestined so god god predestined he brought all the people of the world together all the gentiles in israel and and predestined what would happen to jesus yeah well that takes away from their will no it doesn't so here's what happened god comes and says i'm going to redeem a world and the people of the earth and Israel said, no, you're not. God says, oh, yes, I am. And he came in the form of a helpless baby. And, and provoked and instigated by the enemy, the people of the world said, well, hey, you are not going to redeem a world. You're not going to take away. I mean, look what all the leaders of Israel did. Look at the rebellion and the pushback that the people gave. They're not interested in God's plan. And God said, I'm going to do it. And they said, we'll kill you. God, God brought them together and said, listen, I'm, I'm absolutely helpless. I'm not going to defend myself. I'm going to be a sheep among wolves. Do your worst. And they said, fine, we'll kill you. Help yourself. So they hung him on a cross and killed him. They decided before, he decided beforehand, you come. He brought all the people of the world, walked in the middle of them and says, I'm going to redeem a world. They said, no, you're not. He said, yeah, try to stop me. We'll kill you. Help yourself. So they hung him on a cross. 
So he went into the grave, took death captive, and came out of the grave and said, all right, now can we get on with things? You know what's so beautiful? God is going to redeem a world, and he's going to bring about the beauty of redemption, whether you want it or not. See, the definition of sovereignty isn't control. The definition of sovereignty is even in your rebellion. There's this beautiful, I don't want, this a long illustration, I can't go through the whole thing, but J.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings, he wrote the first book. You've read Silmarillion? It, it'll put you to sleep. But it's, it's really long, it's a history of the Lord. There's this one guy, he's the satanic figure named Melkor. Causes all this problem. He's, I mean, just, I mean, just horrible things he did. Finally, Iluvatar, which is the god figure, calls Melkor to account, and all the people of Earth, all the all the other angels, uh, his, they're called Anor in his book. They're wanting Iluvatar to smash Melkor, and when Melkor is brought before him for judgment, Iluvatar is weeping, and he looks up and he says, Melkor, Melkor, don't you realize? that I created you to bring me glory. And even in your rebellion, you will bring me glory. That's the definition of sovereignty. God doesn't control. Love overcomes. Love redeems. That's, that's the idea of predestination. That God ordained, God ordained before the foundation of the world to bring beauty out of the midst of travel, out of ashes, to bring beauty out of the, mis- out of, out of the misery of death. He'll, he'll do it. He'll do it. That's the idea. See, sovereignty isn't a control thing. Sovereignty isn't a control thing. Sovereignty is God. He's sovereign. That's the idea of predestination. Now, you'd say, well, what, when it comes down to it, predestines a verb, what's the object of the verb? What's the direct object? Well, the object is to be adopted as sons. And again, I'll take you back to what I said last night, that God, in the beginning, looked at Jesus, okay, before the foundation, the son, and he said, oh, I love you. You're just the perfect son. I want more of you. And he created you to have the kind of relationship that he had with Jesus. So Jesus is the only begotten son, and you were created for sonship. That's why son is a neutral term in the New Testament. Both women, in in, in Christ, there's no male nor female, Jew nor Greek. Jew nor Greek means no skin color. Doesn't matter. Isn't that neat? There's no male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. We're all sons of God in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Each and every one of you were destined to have the relation with Abba that Jesus did. In fact, he's limited the relationship you're allowed to have with him to that. He won't tolerate any other relationship. Well, we'll just be friends. Ain't interested in being friends. I want a daughter. I want a son. Well, you know, we'll be tight and I'll talk to you. I'll pray before my meals. No, 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 no. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in praying without ceasing. I'll give you every bit of me, but this right here. Don't understand. A son allows me complete access in his life. Unfettered intimacy. That's adoption. That's what it means. We don't know what adopted means. You're brought in. So God literally takes Jesus, puts him on the earth, and takes everything and puts it, these verses, puts it in Christ. Everything he wants to do in your life, he puts in Christ. And he's limited Christianity to that definition. If you ever meet anybody that's living in sin, they're like, I'm a Christian. You know, you're not. Seriously, you're, you're a religious person. 
you're a religious person. People look at, now understand, we're supposed to love Israel, and there's a whole conversation on Israel, but Israel ain't, ain't Christians. God is not in some wall over there. That welling wall is no more significant than anywhere else. God may have plans for that land and all that. We, we, we embrace all that, but God lives in your body. Why? Because that's the boundaries of the relationship that he set. That's the boundaries in Christ. Christ is the, is the final statement regarding every, he's the alpha and omega. That's what that means. Jesus says, I'm the alpha and omega. There's nothing outside of me. All things were created by him and for him. You go back and read sometime. Read time before you go to bed. Colossians chapter 1. Knock your socks off. It's who you are. So he says, he moves in, and I remember our, our verses, in verse 3, he's talking about the redemption of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that the Father wanted every adjective that describes him to describe you. That's in verse 3. Also in verse 3 is that what that looks like is Jesus. Jesus is every adjective of the Father being displayed in his life. Everything that makes the Father spiritually who he is manifested in Jesus' life physically. That's also in verse 3. Also in verse 3 is the Holy Spirit. He's the actual adjectives. It's the fruit of the Spirit in our life. When you move into verse 4, he chose you for that before the foundation of the world. So you can be all inspiring and you can't miss it. It's not based off your, that's the idea of blameless. It's not based off your strength. You don't have to pull this off. Just walk in intimacy with him. Let him flow out of your life. He'll use you without you even know you're being used. One of my favorite uh, passages of Jesus being used by the Father without his permission was when Jesus, that, the lady who had the uh, bleeding issue, she comes up and she said, if I could just touch his cloak, man. All these people are bumping and smashing around Jesus. And she comes up and touches his cloak. Jesus stops. And the disciples are like, come on, we got to keep going. We're going to get trampled. And Jesus says, power just went out from me. Andrew's like, pull yourself together, man. Bury me trampled. Jesus says, I'm not going anywhere. Power went out from me right here. They begin to look around. There's this lady. She's like, sorry. I knew if I could just touch you. And he's like, wow, hey, the Father healed you. Most translations leave out where Jesus turned around and said, hey, if you want to use it, I appreciate you just let me know. No, that's not in any of the translations. But... That's the idea, man. The Father used him. You, seriously, you can't mess it up. You can't screw it up. That's the beauty of it. So by the time you come into verse 4, he says, listen, you can't mess it up because, oh, he loves you so much. He wants you to succeed and overcome more than you want to. He wa I mean, and, and Jesus, Paul uses all kinds of illustrations for this, especially when he's talking about uh, our kids. I mean, who, who among us, if your kid asks for a piece of bread, you give him a stone? Come on, man. The way you talk about your grandkids. I mean, every time I go out with Dale, it's like, it's like those are the most perfect kids on the place of the planet. No kids are like his kids. <laughs> That's how it's supposed to be, man. That's how it's supposed to be. She's got the cutest daughter in all of Atlanta. I've heard it, you know. And he's got the cutest little boy. I, I, I tend to agree with him too, but I'm just telling you. Yeah, come on. In. He wants the best for you. So everything that's gone on in verses 3 and 4, which is why we study this in series, it's one big long statement he's making, that in love, dude, he's predestined you for that. It's like you were born for this. I said to your boy this morning, we were walking in, 
I was like, dude, why are you so awesome? He just ran from me, just started running toward the door. I said, come back here, little one. Grabbed him by his, by his shirt. I said, whenever someone asks you that, you say, why? when someone says, why are you so awesome? I say, because I'm royalty. Seriously, I'm royalty. You haven't heard? Yeah, go back and read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3, 4, and 5, talking about me. That's who we are. Dude, I just wash him in that. Dude, he'll walk to school. Like, dude, come on. And when someone says anything about him that don't come into agreement with that, he doesn't believe them. Why? You just don't know. You don't know who I am. He does. Because he's, he's predestined you for adoption. Now, here's the beautiful thing. It's in accordance with his pleasure and his will. In accordance with his pleasure, with the pleasure and his pleasure and his will, which means, again, he wanted to do this. Now, when you come into verse 6, Paul immediately, in my translation, you have a little dash. It's like in the middle of this writing, Paul just erupts. He just erupts into giving praise. And it's interesting, he says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And again, his whole understanding of grace in this verse is this is, this is favor. That's not what that word is. It's lercharis. It means favor. Um, when I go to, when I go to uh, the drive-thru at Culver's, um, and they got, they really hurt us. The whole ice cream industry. I mean, you, it used to be vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry. And we just got way too complicated on all that stuff. <laughs> I really think we've hurt us. It's really hurt us, you know. You make things so complicated. I'm just, come on, man. I mean, we did have the swirl. That was all right, you know, the swirl, okay? But, uh, you mean, you got everything but the kitchen sink now in that deal. It's a full-course meal, you know. I want Oreos and shoelaces and everything else in that thing. So, but anyway, when I go, and, and my wife, she calls me boring, you know, but when I go... She goes, I already know what you want, strawberry. I'm like, that's it. And they always say, are you sure you don't want anything else in that? I'm like, no, youngster, I don't. I'm old and grumpy. Give me my strawberry shake. <laughs> that's, I favor that. That's what, that's what I choose. When I look out, I favor that. That's what grace is. He favors you. He favors you. And it's so, it's so difficult, especially when we talk about grace. It's so difficult uh, theologians will call it unmerited favor. It's favor you don't deserve. It's literally, again, I relate it to children because I can't wait to be a grandpa, but you're looking at these little kids, you see these little kids, they come in and they're just adorable, man. I mean, seriously, you look at them and you're like, you're awesome. And they look at you like, why would you say that? And I'm like, oh, just, I won't say that in about 10 years. You'll be annoying. But now, you know, he, he'll always say that to you. I, I'm partial. You know, that, that four-year-old, the six-year-old, you can't screw that up, man. They're just... They're just what some of them can actually, but you know, it's unmerited favor. They're just adorable. They're just adorable. So when the father looks at you, he, he, the whole motivation of adoption, you have to get this in your mind. Stop. We have to stop seeing ourselves through the lens of our own failures and the world that before the foundation of the world, he had a dream that became manifest from the spiritual into the physical and it came into the world. And your mom and dad named you 
What's interesting is Revelation says when you get to heaven, you're going to get a new name. Because parents don't always do it all. They don't get it right. And so he's going to say, listen, before you were born, I, I named you. In fact, he, he comes to Saul and says, yeah, it was close. You're Paul. He comes to Cephas and says, no, 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 you're Peter. You know, isn't it wonderful how he does that? Just cha- flat out changes your name. Abram to Abraham. I mean, he just, he does that. He changes your name. This is who you are. So before you were born, man, he, he literally said, I, all the things that I have with Jesus, I'm going to make it available to this. I'm going to make it available to this girl, make it available to this guy, this lady. I'm going to make it available. He lavished that on you. Why? He just favored you. It's like the Christmas present you've been waiting to open, man. That's literally who you are. So I tell people all the time, I tell, I tell churches all the time, if you, could just, if you would just believe everything that he says about you, if you just believe. Jesus, I love, I love what you say about me. I struggle with seeing myself through the lens of my own flesh eyes, my own world. I found myself speaking evil over me, questioning, why would you love me? Why would you trade Jesus for us? I do. You're never going to get out of us who Jesus was. Not all of us put together. How could you give him? That's like, that's like giving a billion dollar coin for all the pennies in the world. And it doesn't add up, dude. Why would you do that? Love. You lavish on us. You favor us. And you're able, he who is able to bring about everything in my life as he determined, that's whom I believe. You're able to fashion me, mold me, reproduce yourself through me. So tonight, Father, as we're in this room, we we really hadn't had a time to respond, and I want to do this tonight. In the name of Jesus, I repent and I recant I renounce any language. Come into agreement with this with with me. Whether you're online or in here, just come into agreement. You don't necessarily speak it out loud, but under your breath, there needs to be air moving out of your lips. I recant, I renounce, I repent of any language that I have received, that I have taken, that I've come into agreement with, that I've spoken over myself, that is not consistent with how you created me. I renounce that in the name of Jesus. I renounce that in the name of Jesus. I want everything you have for me. I give you permission to barge into the areas of my life where I've kept you at bay. I give you access in the name of Jesus. I give you a key to every room. I ask you, Jesus, to bend my mind to yours. I give you free reign. Father, you are living in my body through the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we share literally the same hands. We share the same brain. I give you permission to think through my brain. I give you permission to be the filter of the things that I watch on TV. I give you permission to be the filter of the things that I think about when I look at the people in my world, the way I drive my car, the way I look at my my wife, the way that I look at my bank account, the way that I process emotions. Holy Spirit, I don't want to do anything without your involvement and approval. 
Because I know in love, you predetermined. You predetermined that I would be like Jesus. That everything that was going on in him and the relationship he had with, with the Father, you predetermined that I have that. And you, you're just joyfully lavishing favor upon us. So I receive that in the name of Jesus. I leap into Christ. I want to live within those boundaries. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus. And everybody said? Amen. For more information, visit www.jeremiahbullock.com. That's www.jeremiahbullock.com.